It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. As Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau makes aggressive moves on gun control, House Democrats in the U.S. will hold an emergency meeting later this week to look at gun control legislation of their own. Why are you here if not to solve a problem as existential as this? Meanwhile, the White House once again walking back President Biden's Taiwan declaration as the Chinese military sends 30 warplanes into Taiwan air defense zone. For more on these stories, we bring in our panel. Political editor at National Journal and Fox News Radio political analyst Josh Krashauer. Former Democratic Tennessee congressman, co-host of The Five, Harold Ford Jr. And Republican strategist, former campaign manager for Senator Scott Brown, Colin Reed. Colin, uh, clearly this White House, in conjunction with Democrats on the Hill, are looking for some kind of gun control measure. The president continues to talk about how the Second Amendment was never absolute uh, in ways that is raising eyebrows uh, for constitutionalists. Uh, But at the same time, you have Mitch McConnell uh, saying that uh, Cornyn and others are going to start talks or have been talking about possibilities. He focuses on mental health and shoring up schools, but obviously some compromise would have to happen. Yeah, Brett, and I think that's where the real action is going to take place if it happens uh, in, the, in the coming days is in the Senate, not in the House. These votes in the House are, are, are votes for uh, the party to, to sh- their message votes to show their, 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 their voters they did something on it. But Senator John Cornyn from Texas, solid conservative, thoughtful guy, someone with respect on both sides of the aisle, but hardly a milquetoast moderate. And the fact that Senator McConnell has uh, deputized him and blessed these negotiations he's having with uh, Senator Murphy on the Democratic side, again, not a milquetoast moderate, someone with with uh, gravitas and credibility uh, on the subject. And if there's a, a compromise to be made, it seems like those two uh, are two guys who could be uh, do so in a serious, thoughtful way. Uh, I, do, I will say, though, that the outside events uh, around this are not being helpful. They're not conducive to serious, uh, sober-minded uh, negotiations. You've got a better O'Rourke grandstanding down in Texas, and you've got now the, what's happening up in, in Canada with Justin Trudeau uh, essentially taking unilateral action to freeze gun ownership, which is what uh, many conservatives accuse the left in this country of wanting to do, and now it's happening, albeit in a different country, but not that far away. And then I don't think President Biden's comments have been that helpful. Uh, he, this is a guy who was united to be uh, someone who brought everyone together, and, and he's, he's just further dividing people. He's talking about sober-minded Republicans and not sober-minded Republicans, and there's just not a spirit of, of unity that, that I think is needed to pass something like this. And if, 
if Barack Obama at the height of his power in 2012 and 2013 uh, couldn't get something done, uh, it's, it's hard to see Biden doing it. But I do think that one last point on this, Brett, is, is President Biden has not been part of these negotiations. He's been at, noticeably absent. He's let the Senate do their thing. And I think that speaks to kind of his lack of political capital right now. And he just needs to step out of the way and, and let others do the job. And, and he can be he can lead from behind. You know, guns, Harold, uh, one of the issues, much like abortion, that uh, is extremely emotional. And if you're ideologically driven on this issue, you are very ideologically driven on this issue. And uh, so it is tough to get to compromise talk, even in an environment where maybe it's set up to do. You know, with abortion, you know, when you start talking late term and and restrictions that even Democrats say should be in place with guns, maybe it's, you know, background checks on long rifles, AR-15s that are more strict or raising the age to 21. Maybe it is some kind of nuance that is short, way short of what Canada did. So I, I think you're I think you're probably right. I, you know, I would differ a little bit from kind of some of the talk around the president and others. I think I think one of the things that the president has has recognized being in the Senate uh, is that if we're going to have any kind of public safety, new public safety rules around around guns, then it's going to have to come from the Senate. You can't executive order it. So I, I actually think it might be a, a good sign that he's letting. Uh, the Senate, because it's been because Republicans in the House and the Senate have been, you know, opposed over the years to, to, to any kind of changes to, you know, whether it's background checks or whether it's waiting periods, whether it's uh, ages for guns. One thing I think we all have to acknowledge, or at least I think a reasonable person has to acknowledge, is that we're not doing all that we can do to stop these mass shootings in schools. And that's not to say that some form of gun control needs to be the first and foremost, or for that matter, the only thing that we do. But each of these cases have some common denominator, at least one powerful common denominator, and uh, or two. It's a, a young man, largely a young man, who had some, some challenges in life, be it mental illness challenges or other health challenges, public health challenges, and they had access to a gun. Now, this Texas matter, there's some other issues here regarding whether or not protocols, long-standing protocols from the late 90s, which have been adopted in school systems across the country when an active shooter's on campus, uh, what you're supposed to do. Uh, so again, I'm glad that, that, and I hope that I take Mitch McConnell a good faith effort that he's not just trying to stall this thing and appointing whether it's Cornyn or Thune or others to be a part of negotiations, all in an effort to help the clock run out. We have a problem. Uh, there's a shooting just uh, in the last day or so uh, in, in New Orleans at a high school graduation, uh, I believe a high school graduation there. Uh, and again, guns alone are not the problem. But again, there are two common denominators each time. There's someone who is who has a, a crazed moment, and we might have had seen signs of it in social media or from friends of theirs, and you begin to construct a portrait of how this occurred. And two, there's a big gun involved mostly. So you, know, you don't have Harold, to be that smart to realize you got you got to address these issues and however we respond to this. I hear you, especially on school shootings. But how do you use that template for what happens in Chicago every weekend? So it's another great question, Brett. And I think that in Chicago, the kids that are getting these, well, they're, they're, they're aspects. So I look at the aspect where you have these kids and these gangs and these communities who can't somehow or another access fresh food, fruit, or an education, somehow or another able to get their hands on the most very sophisticated weaponry and, not and then because escape of the laws. or loot. 
Right, no, because Brett, the laws, I, I mean, I'm, Chicago has some Brett, of the toughest gun laws in the country. Right, so I'm, I'm trying to analyze this how, like, I, I don't look at these things the way some in politics do today. I try to figure out what are the elements that are causing this problem, and then how do we address it? Maybe right. the laws on the books are not working. I, I'm not saying that they are working, but, but I'm not an advocate, right, in this conversation for an avalanche of new laws. I am an advocate for smart laws and how we figure out how we address these things. And in the situation of guns in Chicago, in New York, where I live, in Memphis, where I'm from and represented in Congress, the, the number one challenge for a lot of police officers, and I might add police unions and police organizations all support some form of gun restrictions because they're outgunned oftentimes in these, these situations. One of the things we do know is that these guns are getting to these kids illegally and somehow or another, the people who are actually a part of that, that, that line of getting these guns into these neighborhoods where you can't access really a lot of things positive but can get a gun, they're not held accountable. So I would look, I throw all of the things out of the window, Brett. I am not a believer that some of the restrictive gun laws that we have in New York and Chicago are working. You know why I'm not a believer in that? Because they're not working. Yeah, so we have to figure out what does work, right? Exactly. I mean, so I'm, I'm, again, we have to step back and figure out how reconstruct and, and build an architecture that's going to address these issues. But the, the shootings in schools, I think you have to separate. And I know you recognize that and respect that with the boundaries you've created with these two questions. Yeah. Josh, uh, that's the battle we've had, right? <clears throat> this is the back and forth. And it seems like we as a society are better than all of this. Um, you know, the mental health side, the school safety side and, and securing schools and money for that, um, as opposed to, you know, COVID relief that's not spent, is starting to bubble up on the Republican side as being one of the elements. If they're going to make any negotiation on the other stuff, that's going to have to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's all of the above. Brett, and, and there's just very little incentive for compromise in, in Washington these days, and, and on guns in particular. In an election I mean, year. In an election year, there's still primaries to come. There, there's just not a whole lot of middle ground. There's not a lot of political incentive uh, on either side to, to sit down at the table. And, and even though Mitch McConnell's made some you know, encouraging gestures that he could work with Democrats on some small scale gun control legislation. He, he was just in Kentucky today and uh, focused much more on mental illness and school safety. It did, didn't touch any of the, the discussions going on about gun regulations. So I am skeptical that even the smaller scale uh, gun control proposals are gonna see the light of day. You need 10 Republican uh, Senators and Joe Manchin uh, from a from a gun owning state like West Virginia, it, it's just going to be very very challenging to get anything done. And it, and it, it's going to be I mean the, the, these cultural divisions, these these values issues where you know neither side can see the other's point of view. You have Beto O'Rourke, as Colin was saying, you know basically disrupting a, a press conference just to get his his political time in the spotlight. That's not how compromise is done. That's not the kind of efforts that need to be made to even get small-scale progress on, on these very entrenched uh, challenges we face. All right, we're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Meantime, Colin, you mentioned the president's uh, low approval ratings and maybe not big coattails as we head to the midterms, or at least not juice to move the ball up on Capitol Hill. We can't say whether that's true or not. Uh, this time because of the issue. But we can say that this long, detailed report from NBC 
suggesting that he's mad that when he says something definitively, that his White House walks it back in one way or another. And he's mad that he did not, he was not told about the supply shortage for baby formula until it popped up in the media. And, and they said that they were working it since February. And that is from a senior advisor close to the president. I mean, it sounds like Ron Klain to me, but it could be a number of people. But it's a pretty detailed story. The White House pushed back on the, on the walking back part. Um, but if that's the case, it's pretty interesting how this White House is operating. Well, and it gets to a bigger issue, Brett, which I think has beleaguered this administration from the beginning, which is they viewed the economic challenges in this country as a communications issue or a perception issue, or it's it's the actually the economy's going really well, people just don't get it. But that's just not how it works. I mean, and if people don't think things are going well, then they're not. And, and why would they right now? Gas is 469 a gallon today. It's the 21st straight day. It's hitting all time high. There's shortages of baby formula. Anyone who's tried to buy an airline ticket or rent a car has, has faced astronomical prices and or supply challenges. Now there's stories about lifeguard shortages at pools because people can't, won't come to work. Uh, so things aren't going well. Uh, Gallup had the economic confidence in this country is at 14 percent uh, positive right now. That's down from 20 percent in April just two months ago. Seventy percent of the country think we're on the wrong track. It's funny, Brett. Usually presidents become a lame duck in their second midterm. This this president's on the verge of becoming a lame duck before his first midterm because he can't even get his own party on board, let alone the other party. So it's 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 challenging times for everyone. And I and I, I say this as a Republican strategist, but we no one wants the country to be going through this malaise that we're going through right now. Uh, I read the president's op-ed in the in the Wall Street Journal. To, to me, that read more like an election year. Hey, we need to do something on the economy than any, any sort of serious uh, policy prescription because it didn't offer any concrete solution. So. Uh, the midterms are going to be the referendum on the Biden administration, whether they like it or not. But this is far from a communication challenge. It's what people are feeling, and that's what people are going to be voting on. Josh, to Colin's point, that story about the walk back and, you know, how the president's reacting um, seems like they are taking it on the chin for the president not leading and his White House leading him. Meantime, on inflation, they are throwing a lot of people out uh, to talk about how the president is actively trying to deal with inflation, although a lot of people are questioning how much he can do, uh, despite all these folks uh, talking about how important he sees it in his administration. And the, the reality, Brett, is there's not a lot he can do at this late stage where we, we, the government has already spent the money, $1.9 trillion of, of that government uh, emergency spending from last year was has already been spent, probably had a, a, a stimulative effect uh, and, and accelerated inflation. But they, they, they're doing the right things now, but I don't think there's much that can change politically. When you look at all the polling, uh, the public doesn't view the administration as being proactive when it comes to dealing and responding to the, the crises affecting the economy from, from rising gas prices to shortage of goods like, like uh, infant formula in the grocery stores. They, the president, in a, in, a, in a report that came out this week, uh, is frustrated that he's not being aware of some of these crises um, and, and that his staff, he's blaming for not keeping him abreast of, of some of the challenges that he's facing. That's never a good sign to see uh, in a White House. But, you know, politically speaking, the, usually around June, 
the what 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 Americans feel about the economy, how how, how they feel generally speaking, gets locked in uh, in the run up to the midterms. So it, there's just a, um, the op-ed, the, the fact that they're showing an attentiveness to inflation is a good sign, but it's coming a little bit too late to really improve his political fortunes. Yeah, to that point, uh, Charlie Cook, Cook Political Report said. As he sees it in the crystal ball towards the midterms, the Democrats are either going to have a bad, a very bad, or a very, very, very bad midterm. Uh, he said it's just a matter of uh, scope and perspective. As you look at it, Josh, with the issues of Roe v. Wade, which we expect a decision this summer, and guns, does it change the dynamic in the 25 to 35 seat looking like wins for Republicans? Yeah, it's looking closer to the very, very bad uh, from talking to Democratic strategists who haven't seen a political move this sour since at least 2010, if not before then. But the one thing that the the White House can control is getting their own voters out to the polls. And that's what you're seeing uh, on, on some fronts where, you know, trying to address student loan issues really believe a small small amount of student debt which, which it sounds like this administration is seriously considering that's designed to get their base younger voters to, to show up at the polls the abortion they're, they're hoping that i mean that if, if roe v wade is overturned in, in an upcoming supreme court ruling they're they're hoping that at least they can get some political benefit by getting uh, a lot of pro-choice voters to the polls when they otherwise may not show up but that's about it i mean that 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 is the difference between a bad midterm and a very, very bad midterm. If Democrats don't show up, you're looking at the worst case scenario that they're trying to do everything possible to get the base out at the very least to to limit their losses. All right, panel, thank you. Now for a bit of history. The Battle of Jutland on May 31st, 1916, 151 British combat ships engaged 99 German ships in the North Sea off Denmark during World War One. Despite thousands of casualties on both sides and no definitive winner, Many consider it a strategic victory for the British as the German fleet had been contained. The Germans would shift to only using submarine warfare, one of the catalysts that led to the United States eventually joining the Allied effort. That bit of history comes as Queen Elizabeth celebrates her jubilee seven decades on the throne this week. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Colin, Harold, and Josh, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.